The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. I think it's fair to say today that our interest has been piqued by a new peak in interest rates, or at least what markets are expecting in one today. And there's a whole flood of news around it, Caroline. Yeah, absolutely. Markets basically are firmly now expecting UK interest rates to hit 6.5% by March next year. So if you thought the pain was bad, it may be getting worse. Also, an outlier, but worth noting, JP Morgan sees the possibility of bank rates having to go to 7%. They add a lot of caveats, but that's their view. This because, of course, the Bank of England has not got inflation under control. But the issue is there's loads of fallout from rising interest rates. Yeah, and look, rates are at 5% at the moment for the Bank of England. The average five-year fixed rate for a mortgage, 6% now. So if you're talking about 6.5% Bank of England rates, that's even higher mortgage rates down the line. This is the subject. Yet again, the whole of Prime Minister's questions yesterday was all about mortgages and the cost of housing. Rishi Sunak's number one priority is having inflation by the end of the year. This is now having trickle-down effects in all sorts of other parts of the economy. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the different bank bosses being brought in for a meeting with the regulator, the FCA. Uh, you know, the idea of greedflation around whether the um, interest rates that are going up are being passed on to savers or not. And then, of course, you've got the other side of it, which is businesses under pressure, businesses that took out a lot of debt Mm. at a time of low interest rates are now running into huge problems, namely Thames Water. You've been counting my water puns, by the way. (laughs) I've made two so far. Have you? There are too many puns in there, Stephen Cowell, for me to actually count. Uh, But look, the uh, issue with Thames Water is whether or not it can avoid going into being brought into public ownership. And Bloomberg's Kitty Donaldson and Philip Aldrich have been reporting on this. So we had learned that ministers and officials were considering these contingency plans for the company, including a kind of temporary state takeover. Now it does seem to be that there are talks that investors could raise more than a billion pounds and therefore avoid that fate. Yeah, and look, the concerns about the water industry now more broadly as well because of the levels of debt they have again another knock-on effect of higher interest rates and making that debt more expensive and then there's the other big question of course water companies were in the news last year as well because of the trying to keep sewage out of seas and rivers yeah no absolutely there is a big concern that water companies have failed to invest enough to keep sewage um you know, out of rivers and, and courseways. And so it has brought the whole idea of privatisation into question. The regulator off what is in the spotlight. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there is big fallout. And it's not just that 
the debt is going to get more expensive for Thames Water to pay off, but it's also that they have, must invest for the future, mm. and that's going to be even harder. Yeah, of course, both very political issues as well. Another regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, meeting banks today. This is to talk about accusations that they've been profiteering uh, from savers because as mortgage rates have been rising, savings rates haven't necessarily been rising at the same levels. There are nine lenders meeting with the FCA today, all of the big high street names, Lloyds, NatWest, Barclays, HSBC uh, and so on as well. They're going to be talking about what the banks can do to ensure that savers are getting, uh, you know, I suppose, a fair rate, given the fact that mm. um, interest rates are finally yielding money for a bank savers now, which they weren't for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Average saving rates are, are around 2.5%. Look, the um, idea and the thing that fascinates me is how much jawboning, how much pressure, how much of a result are you going to get mm. just by talking to those banks? And my view is probably quite a bit why the FCA has got this new mandate that kicks in at the end of this month. Probably nobody has heard of it outside of the financial world. But it means that the FCA has got this consumer duty, i.e. they have to put the results for retail consumers at the heart of what they do. And I was speaking to Sheldon Mills, who's uh, one of the leaders at the FCA mm. only last week. And, you know, he was saying this the, the, the regulator is taking this very seriously and so this is one of the issues you know our savers getting a fair deal yeah and of course that's the heart of the FCA conversation with banks today and it's at heart of where we're going to talk about next which is essentially the difference between how interest rates affect you depends on where you are with your finances if you're renegotiating your, renegotiating your mortgage it's bad news but if you've got savings it's potentially good news. And our UK economy reporter, Tom Rees, is with us uh, for more on this. Tom, you've been looking into the numbers on this. What did you find out kind of at a, on a broad basis? Are we better or worse off? So we, we found out that current rates, um, households are actually making more annually from higher savings rates than they're actually having to pay out in higher mortgage costs. The difference is about uh, 10 billion currently. And that's largely because of a the shift in the mortgage market that we've seen over the last decade or so from variable rates to, to fixed rates. And so that's delaying that mortgage pain um, for households, uh, which which means that, you know, if, if you have savings, then you're, you're doing quite well at the moment. But I mean, one thing to stress is this is an aggregate and there are big winners and losers. Mm. Um, you know, if you have a mortgage and you've you know you've just renewed your deal you're obviously feeling that uh, but if yeah. you're maybe an older uh, household who's paid off your mortgage then and you have savings you're, you're probably doing quite well yeah and this is why the piece that that you've written um, with colleagues is so interesting it's the contrarian view right a lot of what we hear about in the UK press is savers squawking that they're not getting enough and mortgage holders saying you know we're in so much pain but actually your figures are yes they are aggregate and so it's the whole kind of industry and what that means for the broad finances of people here in the UK but that it does show actually that savers are benefiting more than mortgage holders are feeling the pain at the moment obviously that depends on you individually and where you are in your life do you think that this dynamic is going to shift though that's the big question over the next year two three years as people have to renew those mortgages yeah we should see this um shift as people renew their deals uh pantheon macroeconomics expects that to happen at some point um next year but um it, it still makes the bank of england's job quite tricky if if, if if we're waiting for the pain of higher interest rates to come through and it's only arriving you know at some point next year in the aggregate 
then that's a big issue if you're trying to bring down inflation, dampen demand. Do the banks have a case to answer on not passing on higher interest rates to savers? This one's a bit trickier. At the moment, we looked at the Bank of England's data from a couple of weeks ago, and there is a a big difference between the rate you can get on site deposits and the rate you can get on time deposits. Um, And I think that's kind of understandable from the bank's point of view, because they want you to lock up your money for longer. Um, I wonder if perhaps, you know, after a decade of low interest rates, uh, whether, you know, savers are not quite as savvy as they used to, they're not quite as used to moving their money around. Um, So I think a lot of it is kind of political signalling to households. I think the government at the FCA are trying to show that they're not allowing consumers to be be ripped off by by Mm. banks. But maybe a a bit of pressure on banks may, may... may help uh, rates, particularly on those easy access deposits. Yeah, absolutely. It totally depends whether you want an instant access savings accounts, you know, and there are so many rules. Um, I I regularly get a newsletter that tells you which uh, banks offer you. Savvy saver, Caroline Hefker has all the insight. But the thing is, you need to really do quite a bit of work to understand if you have to open a new bank account, how many withdrawals you're actually allowed to take or not and what the savings rate then is. And it's all totally different across the different savings accounts. Yeah, and, and Tom, to your point, I mean, a lot of people haven't had to do this for such a yes. long time because there's been no rate been to, to get, essentially. Do, do we, you know, we talk a lot about the post-COVID savings. Do we know how big that cushion is? And, and is that something that's going to be really important as we look at the increasing pressure from interest rates? Um, so we, we know it's roughly around kind of 200 billion. Um, so it's still very large. And what's notable is that UK households haven't been really running it down either. Um, so there was some research by Deutsche Bank um, last week that showed that um, excess savings f- f- since the pandemic um, struck are basically around 11% of GDP. Um, which is, and they've basically, they've gone up. Yeah, 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 they've gone up and they've stayed there. Whereas what we've seen in places like the US, Australia, New Zealand, is we've seen those um, come back down again. So if if we kind of look at why the UK economy has maybe not performed as well as the US economy, I think we've kind of got to look at, you know, have households run down their savings. And in the UK, they haven't really. That is interesting. I mean, one wonders why that, that might be. I suppose if you're kind of fearful of higher interest rates coming your way with your mortgage or or maybe of an economic downturn, maybe then you're kind of saving more. Um, markets are, though, Tom, expecting interest rates as high as 6.5%. What's your thinking around that? What sort of impact could that have on the economy? I think if rates go that high, um, I think we're, we're, we're probably looking at recession. And I think the Bank of England, because its forecasts are predicated on um, what the market's expectations for interest rates are, I think it will probably have to put a recession back into its um, August forecasts. Um, but we, we might get a hint from the Bank of England next week about uh, how hard um, these rate rises uh, will will have on on households. Um, we have their financial stability uh, report. They'll probably say something about mortgages. Um, last year, they thought 5% was kind of the pain threshold for households obviously we're we're at five percent right now and you know we're not quite seeing that pain yet maybe that's because um unemployment is still very low but i think getting to six and a half percent has got to it's got to be painful for households and the economy yeah and it's the question of how this 
plays out in terms of timeline as well because the the element of the fixed rate mortgage is so key to this that mm. you know it's it's a slow slow burn as, yeah yeah of of the pain essentially from higher interest rates and so many people now who c- could still be luckily on their very low rates from you know even a year ago are now looking at an extremely different situation when it comes to renewing their um, mortgages as well and, and how that's going to impact them down the line. Um, for now, Tom Rees, our UK economy reporter, thanks uh, so much for joining us uh, with that. I mean, it's interesting to th- when we think about this FCA meeting with the banks as well, the sort of solutions that, that they could try to put pressure on the banks around are this yeah. idea is that perhaps banks wouldn't be allowed to keep their best savers offers for only new customers joining mm-hmm. and perhaps they might have to extend them more broadly. So there there is some sort of adjustments being floated around as ideas of things that the Financial Conduct Authority could do. Yeah, and why would the banks do that? Well, because they are under pressure when it comes to competition within the market because actually the UK still dominates by a handful of very, very big banks, even though we've had a ton of reforms to try to inject you know, dynamism and competition and loads of apps available. And open banking means you can see your different bank accounts on your app, mm. but actually it's still dominated by a few of the big players. So they also, in some ways, are under pressure to play ball with the regulator, right? Yeah, certainly, of course. So that's the banking side of the situation. Higher interest rates, though, also filtering through into the property market too. New figures showing that more than 11 million homes in the UK have dropped in value since the end of last year. These are estimates from the property portal Zoopla showing that almost two-fifths of houses lost at least 1% of their value between November and May, the average drop uh, being around £7,700. Yeah, we were talking about this data, the impact of rising interest rates on property with Bloomberg's property czar Neil Callanan just earlier this morning. So, We talked about that. Also, the broader trends in terms of home prices, rental values and first time buyers. Have a listen. What you're seeing in these figures from Zoopla is a two tier market emerging, whereby the north of England prices are still going up because prices are cheaper there. And in London, where prices are more expensive, they're falling because obviously the higher your mortgage is, the more you're impacted by mortgage rates. Now, one thing to bear in mind with this is Zoopla takes into account all purchases, not just mortgage purchases. And what was interesting a couple of weeks ago from Nationwide is actually they showed the opposite trend, which is that the north of England is now turned. Mm. and prices there have started to fall again. So we may be seeing in the Zoopla data a bit of a lie because of the cash purchases compared with the the mortgages uh, that Nationwide tracks. And so, you know, the market overall is not looking healthy and the outlook remains poor and pretty grim for those people who have to refinance later this year and next year. Just in terms of the UK compared to Europe, I was looking at yeah, the Telegraph talking about the worst house price falls of any major European economy. Is it that bad? Because looking at Sweden and other parts of Europe, there are also a great many pressures there too. You know, the UK is actually going quite slowly in terms of like a market shift. And that, that's to be expected because people take a while to capitulate on the prices. You know, in Sweden, because the interest rate impact was immediate because most people are variables, it, it was a very different thing. Germany probably didn't need interest rates to be as low as they were for the last 10, 15 years. And so there was a bit of a bubble in the market there. And you're starting to see some of the heat come out of that now. I think it's 6.8% in the first quarter they fell. The UK, what's going to happen in the next six months is people are going to realise I can't afford my mortgage. So they're going to all start coming to the market in September. The people whose houses are already on the market are going to go, going to go oh wait, there's all this other people now competing so we're going to have to cut our prices and so it's really in the fourth quarter that we're going to start seeing substantial price 
decreases based on the data that's in front of us at the moment. Okay, so prices you think to decrease in the fourth quarter. There's another area of the market to focus on from an economic perspective, and that's maybe buy-to-lets, because I understand that this time around, well, last time we saw a crisis in the housing market, there wasn't such a big buy-to-let market. Now that's been you know, built up by the years of low interest rates. And these people will have less sentimental attachment to the property. And as soon as the math doesn't work, might want to get out. So how do we view that sort of trend, Neil? Yeah, the real complication for landlords and potentially for banks, although I don't think it'll be that serious for banks, is a lot of these are interest-only loans. So they, again, are very, very exposed to variances in the mortgage market. And in many cases in London, the rents actually don't cover the cost of the mortgage. People were in you know, property investment for capital appreciation. Once that argument goes out the window, which looks like is what ha- what's happening now, then you're going to see more and more landlords sell up. You're going to see some levels of distress there, I would suggest, but again, not ones that will tr- translate into bank balance sheets. There will probably be some levels of write-downs, but nothing significant. But the knock-on impact of that is then you may end up with fewer homes for renters, Rents might go up again and again. You end up with that thing where uh, basically mm, mm. the bottom gets squeezed even more than it on, already. On the has upside, been. though, I mean, houses are set to become more affordable for all those people yeah. who can't buy them now. Yeah, for those who, <laughs> for those who haven't bought, I mean, this is a, a great thing. And you know, people in the UK are absolutely obsessed with the idea of <laughs> high house prices being a good thing, and really they're not because. The money that's going to go now on mortgages could be money that is spent in restaurants, in mm. shops. It's like it keeps the economy going. It could be investment into fixed assets on a yes. higher level. It could be us, you know, me putting 100 quid into an EIS scheme, you know, that, that will help build a company that makes Britain bigger and better. And, you know, this is all money that could have been spent in different ways and wasn't. And, and the other thing, of course, is the government using the low interest rates could have built loads of houses for people, like social housing over the last 10 years, and instead fuel the market that went higher and higher. So that was Bloomberg's Neil Callan there speaking to me and to Anna Edwards uh, just a bit earlier on. I think Neil makes a very, very strong point. It's one that he's made a number of times before. Actually, high home prices in the UK mean means that you know people's money is tied up in fixed assets uh, and they can't use that money to invest or do all sorts of other things with it. Yeah, okay. So that's the we've talked about the effect of higher interest rates and higher inflation on water, on uh, banks on the housing market. Now let's talk about another strand that politicians have uh, been picking up on here, the idea that companies are profiteering from higher inflation or greedflation. But is there any evidence that's actually happening? Bloomberg Economics has been looking into this and our economist Anna Andrada joins us now for more. Anna, great to have you with us. So the UK is said to have the worst of all worlds when it comes to inflation. First of all, can you just explain to us why is that? Yeah, hi everyone. Um, so I think that idea was first floated um, around by Bailey uh, late last year. And I think he, he was exactly right. He was essentially just pointing to the fact that the UK la- the, the UK economy is facing a tight labor market. So it's a problem that the US has, uh, but that it's not so pronounced in Europe, but and that it's facing an energy crisis that Europe has, but it's not so pronounced in the, in the US. And so it's really the interaction between these two. So like a big price shock, um, playing with a tight labor market mm. that helps inflation being a bit more persistent. And so I think that's what's happening now in Britain. But actually, are companies to blame for this, this idea of greedflation? I mean, I just like to go back to the data because you can actually look at margins. What is the margin for a business uh, in terms of how much money it is making? You can see whether it changes over time, whether they're suddenly making a lot more than they were a year or two ago. So you can kind of work out whether greedflation is happening at a company level or not. 
Um, yeah, definitely. So our analysis, the analysis we put out, looks at aggregate. Um, you know, at, uh, so we essentially we just look at the consumption deflator, which is uh, another measure of consumer uh, inflation, but based on the national accounts. And there, what where we what we conclude uh, is that well, yes. Companies are to blame, but no more than workers. So everyone has kind of been equally contributing to this. And the reason why I say this is that if you do look at the consumption deflator and we do break it down, you know, in terms of import costs, in terms of wages and profits, if you do look at the, uh, there, there has been an increase in prices from late 2021 of 11%. Workers have contributed uh, to 60% of that rise, while companies have contributed to a little bit more than 30%. Uh, now, that's probably what you would expect, given that you know labor accounts for a much bigger share uh, of the economy uh, than capital, uh, and that essentially just shows that you know both um, are equally to blame. So, how, as a, a central bank, how do if everybody's driving up inflation? I mean, how essentially can you tackle that? Yeah, so I think what what the analysis also shows is that there seems to be this widespread behavior in in the economy. And interest rates are a very blunt tool. uh, But in this case, they do seem to be the most appropriate because firms won't be passing on. So everyone is just trying to, you know, recoup their losses in the the real income. But that will stop if one uh, consumer demand weakens. So firms won't be, you know, allowed to pass on the higher costs. And two, um, if the labor market weakens, so uh, workers won't feel emboldened to call for, you know, higher higher pay. So essentially, interest rates do achieve that. Uh, and that's why, yeah, they do look like the right tool right now. What about the efforts by politicians then for, you know, bringing in the likes of supermarket bosses to try to encourage them to keep prices down? Are those efforts helpful? Yeah, I, so I actually think they are. And the reason why I say this is that, as I said, our analysis looks at aggregate data. That doesn't mean that, you know, within sectors, there's not certain sectors trying to you know, uh, exploit the high inflation environment to boost their margins. Um, For instance, if you do look at producer prices and just taking them at face value, you do see a very different picture um, between the food industry and the core goods industry. So the food industry, um, well, the core goods industry first, they did feel a squeeze, a margin squeeze during most of 2022. So that means that they might just be trying to, you know, compensate for that. While in the food, the food producers, that's not as evident. So maybe there might be a little bit of, you know, uh, margin grab in that sector. So I think just the threat of scrutiny uh, might really help. Now, it won't solve the inflation problem because, as I said, you know, it's a problem of a widespread behavior right now. Yeah, but it's interesting to, to hear that it could help. Um, we've had a bit of an update on this from the Bank of England today, Anna. The uh, in survey on inflation expectations from them. This is chief financial officers from all kinds of UK businesses who answer uh, the questions in this survey. What did we learn? Is it good or bad news? Um I said, well, uh, in the analysis we put out this morning, we said it was kind of mixed news. Um, okay. And on the one hand, um, you know, it, we did we do see that firms are reporting uh, slower lower inflation further down the line in both wages and prices. But there was a particular detail in the in the survey that is medium term inflation expectations, and those rose. And it's not only that they increased, but you know they were relatively stable over the past four months. So this increase kind of just highlights the problem that the BOE is concerned with, which is a prolonged period of high inflation might de-anchor uh, inflation. And it might be that this, the past CPI surprises we've been getting is now 
affecting you know firms inflation uh, inflation expectations if that happens they might then next adjust their behavior and that's that's really what the boe um is trying to 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 avoid yeah that's the sort of danger point basically if people expect prices to go up then they sort of race to try to get ahead of that etc and that becomes this kind of spiral that economists talk about so much what does it mean then for the bank of england we started the program by talking about the market expectation for six and a half percent rates from the Bank of England. How do you see see the interest rate path for the UK? Um, well, I think we, we our baseline is for five point seventy five uh, percent. Um, as we've been saying, this is kind of this. I mean, we 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 have a recession in our forecast, uh, but is this still this is still kind of like an, an optimism view of what could happen, uh, right? So it's a shallow recession. You know, the labor market cools a bit, inflation brings uh, gets gets under control. Um, there's another world where you know rates do need to go as high as the market um, as the market expects, and that would just mean you know like a deeper recession that is twice um, twice as deep. Um, so essentially the risk is there. Um, we think that, you know, today's survey and, and data do suggest um, that, you know, more, right, more rate hikes are needed. But I think we'll get to a point when, you know, inflation is coming down uh, where, you know, the BOE might be able um, to, to stop um, later this year. Okay, Anna Andrade from Bloomberg Economics, thanks so much for joining us on the programme. I mean, look, this has drawn together. I know we've talked about a lot of economics in this (laughs) programme, but for very good reason, because this is the thread that's now coming through so many parts of the political world, so many challenges from different sectors, and essentially laying out, you know, the, the time period we're talking about where things are going to get more difficult is the road to the general election. So this is going to be the more dominant issue even than it is now in terms of cost of mortgages, etc. Yeah, you cannot think that um, the next election is going to be fought on anything, frankly, other than the economy. So EcoGov is absolutely vital. Uh, Say EcoGov out loud. I did. I said (laughs) EcoGov. That's economics and government to everyone else. Right. I know. Plenty more of that to come in the next, (laughs) however many months we have into the next general election. Of course, we are geeky and proud of it. But listen, maybe there are other points uh, to be made. Keir Starmer wants to talk about breaking the class ceiling and snobbery and end to that in order to help social mobility in the UK. So maybe there are other political issues out there. Indeed, yeah. Plenty of other policies to watch out for in the meantime. That is it, though, from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts. Spotify or wherever you listen. Our audio engineers today were Marufa Hussain and John Wasserman. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.